Hi, Pastor Rob here from Blessed Hope Chapel and RobCartlidgeMinistries.com. What you hold is true. Is it really truth? Will what you believe get you through on Judgment Day? Are you keeping to the pattern of sound teaching held out in Scripture? In this series, Truth, Judgment and Eternity, I intend to deliver messages that check the solidness of our Christian foundation so as to guard the good deposit that was entrusted to us as Christ's ambassadors on this earth. to Luke 18 and then, then Jesus told his disciples a parable we're not going to read the parable right now but we're going to read it soon then Jesus told his disciples a parable and to show them that they should always pray and not give up always pray and not give up I want that to be our um, keep that in your mind that we should always pray not give up I believe Satan is trying to destroy something in this church. Piece by piece, he's trying to destroy the church. He doesn't want it here. And for some reason, we're diminishing the very few that we have. People that have come and shown interest have backed off and walked away. Uh, people that we try to get here, we invite, they, they say yes, 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 and then they don't come. People that come in and seem to get along with everyone really, really well, stay, hang around for hours, don't come again. Uh, close people in our family that come and we've ministered to and I've spent hours talking to them about Jesus, they don't commit. Other people come, they seemingly commit and then their families come against them and then they back off, they walk away. Other people come and they get sick and can't make it to church because they're just too ill to come. And then those of us here are, you know, battle-hardened veterans, I suppose. We've put on up with a bit of stuff, but we've, we're still here. But we've got to ask ourselves, what's going on? You know, I, I know for a fact that there's people all around the world that are listening to these messages that I put up. And even on YouTube, they've actually diminished in, in listens. It's like there's a, even a, a Google thing going on there, cutting out how many people get to see my videos. So they'll put a video on and where I used to get a few hundred views in a week. I'm down to 30 or 40 views in a week. So something is going on. Satan is trying to stop it. But the few people that are sticklers from around the world that tune in and listen to our videos say to us that they don't preach what you're preaching anywhere in their surrounding area. So from the confirmation that we get from like Tammy Levesque, which comes under Toots for Jesus and, and the uh, YouTube and, and others like Nagol and, and this, this heaps, Steve Manofsky, um, can't even think of them off the top of my head right now. They're all saying the same thing. We've got the right doctrine. We've got the right message. But look at us. It tells me one of uh, something's going on, and I think it's due to us. It's a problem that's going on in this group right here. I think it's something to do with prayer, something to do with, like, you get here on a Sunday, 
but whether our hearts are fully committed to the task. And I'm, I'm not saying for anyone you know, in particular, I'm just saying quiz yourselves, ask yourselves, what's going on? When we pray, do we really pray to God? Do we really seek after God? Do we really seek God to do something powerful among us? Do we even believe God can add numbers to this church? Do we make an effort to reach people we know and encourage them to hear the word? Because I tell you now, the Bible is very, very clear. People that don't follow Jesus go to hell. That means the bulk of the people we know, I know because I've talked to all of you here, the bulk of the people we know are going to hell. And we don't even care enough to get on our knees and weep for them. We don't even set the proper times in the day where we go every day, every day and discipline ourselves to pray until we see them come into the Lord. You know what I mean? Those that you love, those that are closest to you, if they're not following Jesus, you know, something, we've, got to, we've got to do something. We've got to make sure that we get them in the kingdom. Does that make sense? Who's with me on this? I hope I'm not talking to a wall. I hope everyone's with me on this. Because look at us. If this continues, like all we need is for us to stop coming, you know, a few of us to stop coming, and we'll be down to nothing. We'll be down to no one. And the church will just die, even though we have the right message. And you know what? It won't be till we get to heaven and say, God, why did it happen? And I know God will say the same answer he says to every church that dies. Lack of commitment. Do you know how many people say to me, yeah, we'll see your church and they don't show up? How many people say that to me? How many people have sat under my ministry and, and heard it all and yet continue to walk the other way and put church and God last in their life? It's so disheartening, isn't it? You know the feeling, Bill. Bill works so hard reaching out to people. He's got the right message. He reaches out to people all the time. And they all say, yeah, yeah, we'll come to church. And then right at the point where it comes down to the line, down to the wire, they don't show up. And uh, I work so hard to see that what I teach is the truth and to look out, and like I am so glad you guys are here, but I look out and I see that every single person that walked in this church from day one, from the time we opened it in this building I'm talking about, we've had quite a few people come through here. For, and for one reason or another, they've walked out and never come back. If you can tell me what's doing it, I'd love to know. But ultimately... You know what? If the Holy Spirit is moving in us, if the Holy Spirit is in here moving in us and through us by the power of God and through those that come in, even the little things that might put them off won't put them off because they'll be committed. They'll see, oh, God's true. God's real. He's in this house. And I think that's the, that's the problem we have today is God's not here with power and influence in this church. We preach the right words, but we don't have God in the house. And I know we all think, yep, we'll just leave the prayer to the pastor. 
And I'm praying, I'll tell you, I am praying. I am praying. I'm getting up every single morning. I am praying. I'm reaching out to God with all my heart. I'm pleading with him, what is wrong? And it's such a... We are in a position, it's either from here, guys, it's either we're just going to go straight down or we're going to go straight up and we're going to see the presence of God and the power of God just move powerfully here. Because God says, if he's going to build this church, Jesus says, I will build my church. So if this is his church, he's going to build it. But he's only going to build it with living stones. And each of you are living stones. But if our stone isn't committed to God, if we're not praying, how much have I been preaching on prayer lately? How many honestly can say that they've really radically, totally transformed their prayer life with all this preaching? Yeah? How many of you have even set an alarm to say, when that alarm goes off, I'm going to pray? You know? And this is the thing. So I can preach it. You can agree with everything I say and walk out of here and your mind goes back into the world and you forget about it for another week. And then I'll preach it again and you'll agree every word I say while you're in here, walk out of here, the mind goes back to the world and we forget about it for another week. Unfortunate thing is another week closer to the return of Christ. And then Jesus says, when he returns, will he find faith on the earth? Do you know what I think? Sometimes I, I, I have, depending on my mood, I answer that question differently. You know, if our faith is only on Sunday morning while we're here and then we walk out of here and that faith is gone, our faith diminishes and we walk out of here and we don't go and pray and we don't seek God and the sermon that I've spent so much time trying to get together and commit to your hearts, if it doesn't take root and you walk out of here changed and completely radically transformed, then I'm failing. I am failing. And I'm failing because the Holy Spirit's not coming upon you. The Holy Spirit's not coming into you and changing your heart, grabbing your heart and wrenching it. You know, John Praying Hyde, have you heard of John Hyde? He, they called him, his name was John Hyde, they called him John Praying Hyde because he prayed that much. Do you know his heart moved from the left side to the right side? When he died, they found Boatopsy, that his heart was on his right side. It had moved, it had been wrenched out of place. So his praying, his intercession was so full on, so intense in God that his heart moved from here to here. Do you know, we need more John Praying Hearts today. We need guys that are committed to getting into the presence of God. You know, as I said in a sermon a few weeks ago, the, the high priest of, the, of, the, of Israel could go into the presence of God, into the most holy place once a year. And he would go through ceremonies and there was a whole thing that he had to go through. And they even say that, we don't know if this was certain, but they believe that they used to put bells on his, on his feet. So when he's in the presence of God as he's walking around, if the bells stop ringing and they had a cord attached to his feet as well, that meant he could have dropped dead. And that way they pull him out. 
by the rope. So the presence of God is the most powerful place. It is the fear of God. You imagine back in those days how much fear the priest would have walking in there knowing that he could get shot down by God right there in the most holy place if his heart wasn't right. Now we have access by Jesus Christ into that most holy place every day. And because of Jesus, because of his protection, because he covers us with his blood, we can go into that most holy place and God won't strike us dead. And, and, and with that protection, with that covering, we can offer up prayers to the God through the most holy place which are going to be heard, which are going to affect heaven, are going to affect earth. And it's the greatest privilege we could ever get. We are considered as great as high priests were in the, in the Old Testament. How much time do we spend in the most holy place? Here we are, we have access to the throne of God all day, every day. Access to the throne of God all day, every day. And most of us go in there and utter a few quick prayers and then take off. And then throughout the day, a little word here, a little word there. We barely enter the outer courts. We barely enter the outer courts of the temple. Even though if we just put things off and said, no, I'm going to go straight into the most holy place, we could enter in and we could have communion with God. Moses used to go into the, uh, into the tent of meeting and he'd go into the tabernacle, the, the tent that was made in, in, in the desert, and he would, would say he would meet the Lord and speak with him face to face. We can now go where Moses used to go. And where Joshua used to go, when Moses would leave the tent, Joshua would stay there for hours longer just to spend more time in the presence of God. But you know what? I believe it's this. We get into the presence of God because we don't know how to, because we don't know how to hang out with God, if you know what I mean. We get bored, we start yawning, and we get out of there quick. We don't actually believe the Bible. We don't actually believe we've entered the holy place when we pray. We get disillusioned, we get distracted. You know, a phone call comes through or something or a text and we put that before the time we're spending with God. Do you know what, man? You imagine the high priest in ancient Israel and he gets a text while he's in the most holy place. Do you think he would ignore that or not? He's in there once a year for his hour. Do you think he would go, oh, hang on, does that person need me out there? No, he'd be in there, he'd be putting everything else off to be in that place. We put God off for everything else, all the distractions. And this is why I'm a firm believer. If you don't get up before everybody else gets up in the house, you're not going to get your prayers done properly. You're not going to get into the presence of God because as soon as you get up, if you get up at the last minute, people are calling on you and stuff and you're sitting in your bedroom trying to do your prayers, forget it. It doesn't happen. And you won't get adequate time. You need that time. God requires it of you. And I'm going to show you in, in this sermon, and I know I've gone on a little bit already, and I don't know how much of the sermon I'm going to get done now. Matthew Henry said, you know, prayer is the answer to this dilemma we're in. Prayer is the answer. 
Matthew Henry said, when God intends great mercy for his people, the first thing he does is sets them a praying. If God intends mercy, great mercy on this church, you guys will start praying like there's no tomorrow. And I like that saying, praying like there's no tomorrow. Pray as if the end of the world is the end of the day today and there is no tomorrow. Judgment day is tomorrow. How would you pray if you knew that? How different would your prayers be? Pray as if there was no tomorrow. And then you're going to see the power of God move in your life. And you're going to see the power of God move in this church. Who here wants the power of God moving in this church? Who wants to see this church packed to overflowing? And not just with people coming in and sitting down, you know, like bored at some other church service and they have to go through two hours with Rob speaking sort of thing. But people coming in here and they're on their faces before God, weeping because of the sin that they've realised is in their life and, and God's doing a work dealing with them and getting them completely changed and transformed, born again. And next thing you know, these people become the most powerful Christians you ever met in your life. Who wants that? You know, how desperate are we? How desperate are we to see this community not go to hell? How desperate are we that we see our loved ones not go to hell? Those most dear to you. Sometimes I think we can be really, really lax, really slack, and just put it out of our mind, push it out. No, they're not going to go to hell. They don't follow God, they don't believe, they don't really believe. They don't pray, they don't read the Bible. They have some sort of lousy confession. Yeah, yeah, Jesus, yeah. You know? And so we think, oh, yeah, yeah, well, they said they believe in Jesus. And Jesus says if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, believe in your heart that he was raised from the dead, you'll be saved. But is that all the Bible says? That's entrance. That's an entrance to salvation. After that, you've got to remain in him. You've got to remain in Jesus, committed, disciplined, because the Bible even goes into that, and I'm going to be showing you that. You've got to be doing his will, living for him. And the Bible clearly says that if you do not remain in Jesus, Jesus says this, if you do not remain in me, you are like a branch that is thrown away and withers. If you don't remain in Jesus, you get thrown away and you wither, and then that branch is picked up, thrown into the fire and burned. That's what Jesus says about people that turn to Jesus and then turn away to the most part. Hold on to some lousy confession that has no fruit. You will know them by their fruit, the Bible says. Now this should, personally it hurts me, I don't know if it hurts you. This hurts me, really hurts me, that I know there's been so many people walk in this church and they're not here. They don't commit. They don't care for it. It's too much for them. Oh, Rob's too full on with all this stuff. He actually takes the Bible seriously. Oh, that's too much to listen to. You know, I don't know what reasons they actually walk away from here for, but they all find reasons. Oh, I picked up a job on Sunday, so I can't come. You know, love of money. You're only going to love either God or money. Can't serve them both. Amen. So we're seeing a massive falling away. And in a sense, it's our fault. 
that the, the blame rests with the church. And once the church realizes this, that the blame rests with the church, and I've heard many powerful men of God of the past say the same thing. Once the church realizes that the responsibility is on her to pray, you know, you can't blame these people out there that are getting brainwashed by media and everything else because they've always been like that. They have no faith in God. So that's, that's just the way they are. You, can't, you can sort of try to point, point at Satan and say, Satan's doing it. The problem is Satan's always done it, but still men of God of the past have broken through. But the rest, the blame rests on the church. And the moment the church humbles itself and says, yes, you're right. And I'm willing to humble myself. If you can't humble yourself, we're not going to see anything happen here. It's the moment we humble ourselves and get broken before a holy God and say, Lord, deal with me. And if you're not living a Christianity like that, you're not living a Christianity. If you're not humble before a holy God, if you don't fear him, if you're not seeking to be in his presence continuously, you're not Christian because the Bible tells us what you should do. Paul said, pray continually. But you also find that the disciples always had hours of prayer where they would meet for or they would go alone. It says, get into the prayer closet. It tells us how to live. They're not options. <laughs> this is what I think they do. The people, Christians sort of go, oh, yeah, it says pray continually. Well, that's for some. Maybe my minister can attempt to do that, but it's not for me. I'll do these other good works that they're talking about here, but I won't do the prayer stuff. The problem is, is once we start dividing the, the word like that, that's not dividing it is in the sense, you know, the way the Holy Spirit does. That's man's divisions. You start saying, well, that's not for me. That's not for me. That's not for me. That's not for me. I'll just do this little bit of the, of the Bible. And that's when we get to heaven and Jesus says, so many will get before me and they will be fallen short. They will have fallen short, so far short that I don't even know them. John Wesley said, he said, have you any days of fasting and prayer? When was the last time we fasted and prayed? Have you any days of fasting and prayer? Storm the throne of grace. Storm it, meaning come at it, attack it. They used to storm in, in the ancient old days. They would storm the gates of a, of a fortress. They'd storm it with all their... Uh, battle ram, ramparts and all that sort of stuff. They'd come at it and I'd smash into it and I'd put cannons on it, face cannons. I'd storm the, the entrance trying to break in. And once they break in, they rush in all their army. And this is how John Wesley and Jesus says we should, we should approach uh, the kingdom of God. We should storm the throne of grace and persevere therein and mercy will come down. See, storm it. Once you storm it, then you persevere. Because once the doors are open, then you've got to go in. And you've got to take, in the, you know, in, in the sense from a battle thing, you take control of that place. It's not that we go in and take control. What we do is we break in and we go up to God and say, okay, God, I'm here now. And Lord, you've got to release a blessing because your word says you will. And the Lord will say, okay, I can't deny that one. There's the blessing. And John Wesley was right here. He said, and mercy will come down. Mercy will come down. Leonard Ravenhill said, 
the man who can get believers to praying would under God usher in the greatest revival that the world has ever known. If, if a man can get believers praying, he would usher in under God the greatest revival the world has ever known. This is, what I'm, this is what I'm on about this morning. If I can get you guys into prayer, if I could get you praying with the power and perseverance that true Christians of the, old, of the past had, if you could raise yourself up, if you could get a revelation of this, if your heart could be truly changed and born again, if you could get a new heart, Jesus says, you know, uh, to take out your heart of stone and ask me and I'll give you a heart of flesh. Get a heart of flesh. Our hearts can be so hard that we don't even shed a tear for any person going to hell. Do you know, I, I, I think it was um, the Salvation Army guy, William Booth, who said he just wished that when these, his, um, what do they call them in Salvation Army when they, officers, went his officers, that they're sort of like pastors, when they were just about ready to go out and become officers in the Salvation Army, he said, if, if I could just have them hang over hell for eight hours, just hang over hell and look into hell and see the reality of hell, he said, then I know that they'd be fully equipped to go forward in the ministry. And I pray that for you guys. If, we, if you guys could just hang over hell for eight hours and just look... Go up to that viewing platform in Isaiah and look in and see the souls of the damned souls that have gone on and, and, and rejected Jesus. And if you could also be shot into the future and see the outcome if everyone we know just remains the same. And if you could see just who would be down there, it would be the best thing that could ever happen to you. It would be the most life-transforming thing that could ever happen to you. You could never be the same again. I guarantee it. But do you know what's better? Even than that, is if you can read the word and every reference to hell and believe it and let that move your heart to the point where you just, by faith, you know, literally storm the gates of heaven on behalf of those that are that are going to hell. You know what I'm saying? Because it's, it's real. One day, mark my words, it, it might not be a reality to you now, but one day you're going to get to heaven and you'll realise, yep, everything Rob said has come to pass, I can see it. The only reason I can say that with confidence, because I know that if it says it here and I say it here, it's going to be true. It's going to be true. I didn't make it up. Amen? Leonard Ravenhill said, the Cinderella of the church today, the Cinderella, meaning Cinderella used to, would flee the, flee the wedding or the ball, remember that? She fled. The Cinderella of the church today is the prayer meeting. This handmaid of the Lord is unloved, and unwooed because she is not dripping with the pearls of intellectualism. It's not an intellectual pursuit. If you're looking for intellectualism, don't come to the prayer meeting. And if you come to show off your intellectualism at a prayer meeting, uh, you're not welcome because it's not about that. Uh, nor is she glamorous with the skills of philosophy. 
Neither is she enchanting with the tiara of psychology. She wears the homespuns of sincerity and humility, and so is not afraid to kneel. True prayers are not afraid to kneel. They are humble, contrite, lowly in spirit. Doesn't mean they're wimps, because I tell you what, to be humble is you have to be tough to be humble, because you've got to be able to be that transparent before God that you can say, Lord, you know my heart. Forgive me. Forgive me. And humble yourself before a holy God. And the problem we see in what Leonard and what the reason I wrote put that um, that quote in is because the prayer meeting is the most um, uh, the meeting, the most least attended meeting in most churches. Am I right? Nearly, nearly all churches. The if you have a uh, hundred people in a church, you usually get five people at a prayer meeting. If you have a thousand people, you might get you know fifteen, twenty. It doesn't multiply with. It's it's amazing if you really knew the truth. But I guarantee you this, and I've read it, that the churches that get their people to prayer become the most powerful churches you can imagine, and the communities get affected. Communities get affected. Our our loved ones get affected. Everyone gets affected if we take prayer that seriously. And if we become powerful in prayer in our private life, when we come together as a church and pray, the gates of heaven open up over us. We start to see things will things will happen around us that will just mind blow us. It will be just, you know. I can guarantee you now, if all of you guys this morning, if you had done two hours of prayer before you left home, if there was two hours where you had prayed and sought for God to move in this meeting, and I had done it, we all done it, I guarantee you there would have been a different, different outcome today. If I could just get you guys to praying and listen to what he said here, Leonard Raymond said, the man who can get believers to praying would under God usher in the greatest revival that the world has ever known. Another question. How many of us want a revival? When you think of a revival, do you think of, oh man, that's going to be a problem because I don't have much time in my life. You know what I mean? If there's a revival, that means that Man, we'd be going to church more and there'd be more prayer meetings. I'd be, you know, doing, I won't be able to do the things that I plan to do. I can't go out and eat and, uh, you know, do all the fun stuff that I'm doing at the moment. Do you know people actually think like that? They actually get put off praying to God to have a revival because they think, have I even got the time for a revival? I guarantee you, you know what? I guarantee you that's been through my mind. I'm thinking, when are we going to fit in a revival? And if we're honest with ourselves, we would think the same thing. You know, Sunday is is enough. Two hours on a Sunday is is plenty, isn't it? Two hours of church on a Sunday, wow, that's heaps. And if then there's a revival, which means God could move so powerfully that we could have to spend our whole Sunday in church... And that means it could overflow onto Monday and Tuesday. And that means, you know, every spare minute that I have, I'll be devoting to God. How does that feel in your heart? 
How does that feel? To me, I just think if it's God's doing, he's going to equip us, enable us and bless us and enable us to do all those things and make sure that we don't end up you know, financially out of pocket. You know what I mean? We won't end up you know, missing out on getting our degrees or whatever, but God will be able to do it. But it shows the heart that we all have to, we have to question in ourselves. Are we prepared to believe for God to do something that we may not want? And if we don't want it, then we've got to ask ourselves why. Am I making sense? I feel I'm talking by the Spirit. I, I really sense the Holy Spirit speaking through me today because this is coming out so easy I'm not even having to try. And it's not because I necessarily were that frustrated with things this morning. In prayer, I wasn't frustrated for a week. This sort of thing wasn't, it's just come upon me right now. And, uh, and I was in the, in the worship today and I'm thinking, Satan's really trying to destroy this. He's having a really good shot. You know, we had two new people or one new person last week and some, you know, I won't name any names. There was two extras apart from our normal group. They're both not here today for various reasons. Do you know what I'm saying? So when, if that's the case, we've got to start questioning what is going on in the spiritual realm. What is happening around us? What have we allowed to happen to this church? D.M. McIntyre said, before the great revival of Galnukirken, Galnukirken, before that broke out, Martin Booth spent hours and days and often nights in lonely agonies of intercession. Days and nights laying on the ground, pleading with God, interceding for his community. Afterwards, when he preached, his words were as a flame and the hearts of the people as grass. He was so bent before God each and every day. And you know what? I've read the same things of Jonathan Edwards, George Whitefield or Whitfield, Evan Roberts, Frank Bartleman, who was of Azusa Street, uh, and Evan Roberts was of the Welsh Revivals, and John Praying Hyde, of course, who I told you about before. All of these men of God, and many others, because I've read about many others, who had seen incredible moves of God. I'm talking about moves of God that if it happened here in Adelaide, cars would stop driving, pubs would shut, shops would shut, and people would be seeking the church because God would be moving so powerful in the community they couldn't even conduct business. Business houses would shut down. And they would say, we've got to go and meet with God. Because if God comes upon Adelaide, Adelaide will never be the same again. The people will be so, uh, how can I say it? Will be so sensing the realness of God and his nearness that it will be totally and utterly undeniable to um, to say God's not here. An atheist could not be an atheist in that atmosphere. An agnostic could not be an agnostic in that atmosphere. They would say, God is here. God is certainly here. He's here, moving in my heart right now. I can't do business. I can't even sell this 
thing that I'm in here to sell. I have to shut the shop. I've got to get to church. And you know what? At that time, we'll be here with the church doors open. And there'll be churches all over the place where the ministers, are in, in, in like what's happening in me, ministers will be under the same sort of thing. The Spirit's coming upon them and their churches will also be open. And there will be a revival. And that's a re- all the revivals I've read about. That's exactly how they were. The, the doors of all the, of all the, um, the bars and pubs and whatever were all shut. And people would flip. And you, you, so you won't have to worry about, oh, you know, what about my job at that time? Don't worry. <laughs> Your boss will be so convicted of sin, he'll have to get to church as well. And you're going to be right there to be able to lead him to the Lord. And all the shops around you will be shutting. No one will be concerned about making money. They'll only be concerned with what God is doing in their heart. Um, who's read my book, God's Heart Cry? Yep, and you know the story of when, um, uh, I think it was a place called Evan Mills, and uh, this man who used to mock at the revivals of, of Char- um, Charles Finney, he got on his horse and cart and he thought, I'm going to go and see what these guys are talking about. And he said, he literally, as he crossed the bridge going into this uh, area of, or, or region, this powerful sense of an impending spiritual doom came upon him. He was so bent over with it that he thought he was going to plunge into hell that moment. And he, as he went into the town, he said everyone he looked at had the same look on their face. The fear of God had gripped the town. It, it was a thick atmosphere. And then they would go down, go down to the church and everyone in the church was saying they're bent over. And Charles Finney would get up and he'd just start preaching. And the whole place was getting saved. Everyone was getting saved. Now, does that sound unbelievable? It sounds unbelievable, doesn't it? But you know what? The Bible says clearly in Joel 2, 28, that that's going to happen before the Lord returns. That actual thing is going to happen. We're going to see it on mass all over, the, all over the world, but we're going to see it here in our hometown. And we're going to have an encounter. And those revivals of Charles Finney, will pale in comparison to what is coming. And a pale. You know, I was speaking to one a guy on the internet, his name's Nagol, he told me that uh, where he is, that there's, he says there's a move of God is happening there. Not a big, highly promoted one, it's just in these areas he says they are seeing miracles, but not fake miracles like we've been used to hearing about, but genuine miracles taking place. Humble Christians that don't even want to be known are performing these miracles by the power of God. He says there's a revival, there's something stirring over there. And I believe that God is starting to do something. I've heard it through other sources as well, that they believe things are starting to stir all over the world. And that's why right now I can feel the Holy Spirit powerfully moving in me because I believe God is going to do something very soon. And if we aren't ready, we could miss out you know, they, they always call revivals waves of revivals. They're like a, a set of waves coming in. And if, if you know much about surfing, you don't have to know much about surfing, you know that when they come in, that you've got to paddle into the wave. And that's your job. You, you do the paddling, right? You paddle into the wave, and once you get a, enough momentum, the wave sort of grabs you and, and you, you're into the wave. Now, our job is to pray ourselves and paddle into the wave of revival that's coming. 
or else, you know what, it can pass us by completely. We've got to paddle ourselves into the wave of revival. Amen? We can see this. We need to do this. Ravenhill said this, ministers who do not spend two hours a day in prayer are not worth a dime a dozen, degrees or no degrees. Are we all ministers? Are we all ministers of the Lord? What is a born-again believer? What's their ministry? You can tell me. Yep, there's an actual name that used in the Bible. There it is, ministers of reconciliation. So the moment you accept Jesus as Lord and Saviour, you, you are a minister from that moment. Yet you're not necessarily a pastor, you're not necessarily behind a pulpit, but you're a minister, and a minister of the greatest capacity called the minister of reconciliation and reconciling man to God. That's our job, to reconcile man to God. Every single one of us is a minister. And it says here, ministers who do not spend two hours a day in prayer are not worth a dime a dozen, degrees or no degrees. That's just Lennon's opinion, his humble opinion. And I, having studied a bit of Lennon Rainbow, I think he's a man who knows his stuff. He also said, poverty-stricken as the church is today, in many things, she's most stricken here in the place of prayer. Poverty-stricken. But if we devote even a quarter of the time we spend devoting to everything else in the world, if we devoted that to God in prayer, how different would the world be around you? How different would you be? You know? We can get so much to the point where we think because we spend so little time focusing on God that the things of the world start to seem so much more real to us than the things of God. Did you catch what I just said? The things of the world seem so much more real than the things of God because we spend 95% plus uh, hours of our day in things of the world. And who would, who would uh, argue with me on that point? Do we spend 95% of our time in the things of the world? Yeah? Pretty much. If not more. And we, if we give God 5%, you know... Do you think God's happy with that? Do we really honestly think God is satisfied with that sort of a devotion? I don't think so. I personally think that we are so far off the mark. And I'm only saying this to you now, and you might even think that Rob's a bit heavy today, but I'm telling you now. Um, we need shaking because Satan is coming against us big time. And if we don't stand up, if you know what? You think of it this way. We're a little flock and there's an army marching ahead of us, coming towards us. If that army was coming towards me and, and you guys, and I'm, I'm say, say I'm the pastor or the leader of this group, and I'm saying, guys, get your swords out, start practicing, get in shape, pick up your shield, put on your armor. And you guys just went, oh yeah, 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 Rob. Alright, come on, don't exaggerate too much. You know, you're carrying on a bit. I'm saying, no, 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 it's real, it's real. They're coming, I've actually seen them. And you're going, yeah, yeah, yeah. And then you think, oh, Rob can handle that, Rob can do all that. That's his job. He swings the sword for the church, he puts up the shield for the church. And, you know, uh, Matthew puts in a little bit, Bill puts in a little bit, everyone puts in a little bit. 
But when the army comes in, we're completely unready. We're completely not ready because none of us have taken my word seriously. And I've been calling on it, calling on it. And then we wonder why the whole thing gets destroyed and swept away. And we look back on it and we go, gee, what could have been? What could have been? But you know what? I believe that you guys should be, have your swords up, you should have your shields up, and you should be battle-hardened, ready beside me, trained up, ready for battle, and in comes the oncoming army. And as quick as I go out to defend us, you guys are out there with me, and you're just as powerful, just as prepared for battle as I am. Can you see that? And that's what we've got, you know. The battle is not against flesh and blood but against powers and principalities in the heavenly realms. And it's real. I'm telling you now, Satan wants this church destroyed. And he's got good reason. He wants it destroyed. And he's going to deter every single person who will ever walk in that door. He will not want them to stay. He's going to deter them every time they walk in the door. And if we don't pray them in, they're unprotected. They'll go. Is this making sense? How many people are, are getting what I'm saying? Because if it's if you are feeling like, oh, gee, I just wish, wish Rob would shut up. I hate this sort of stuff. I hate it when it gets like this. If you're feeling like that, then that is a sign to you that Satan's getting in the better of you. Because a humble Christian, a Christian is humble, contrite before a holy God. They accept a wise man accepts a rebuke and learns from it and grows from it. Doesn't take, doesn't get resentful. Doesn't say things like, "Oh, you're trying to put too much pressure on us, Rob. You're really coming down hard. You're trying to give us all these guilt trips." No way, man. If if I'm, if you believe even remotely that I speak by the Holy Spirit, and if you feel guilty, that's called conviction, and that comes from God. But if you just feel, if you block that all and say, "No, I don't like what this guy's saying. I can't stand it." You know what? As far as I'm concerned, the church can. I don't care about it. I'd rather not have to go out on Sunday anyway. I'd rather sleep in. Then we know that's Satan, isn't it? Because that's what Satan's doing. That's what Satan... You know how many people I've, I've talked to, the reason they don't go to church is simply because they want to sleep or they want to go to the gym or they want to go for a walk down the beach or they want to go out and have a breakfast at about 10 o'clock, a late breakfast. Or they want to work. And so church to them is, why? Why Why do it? But you know what? The ultimate end, the Bible says clearly, is they will be in hell. They will not get into the kingdom of God because if you're not walking into God's house and, and committing yourself to God and to his church, and I tell you, this is the truth. The Bible says that the church is the body of Christ. Amen? Is the church the body of Christ? And it says that can a member survive separated from the body of Christ? If you cut off a finger and throw it over there and you refuse to connect to the body of Christ, what happens to that finger? Perishes. But if you pick it up before it perishes and put it back on and stitch it up, you can get some life back in it and then God can heal it and make it strong again. If we're not in the body, we're going we're gonna to lose our salvation. Now, when I say that, I might not be referencing all the churches on earth. I'm just saying the true church, the true church, 
which is a church is a fellowship gathering. Amen? Those that gather together and they, they're filled with living stones, not bricks and mortar. This building is not a church, actually. It's not a church, is it? It's a community centre. But we use it for our church, which is you guys. We are the church. Does that make sense? So to be connected and plugged into the church is what connects you and plugs you into God. Fellowshipping with one another. Actually, I've always known, the moment you give up fellowshipping, you lose your faith. You start stopping reading the Bible, you start stopping prayer, and you think for a little while, you, you ignorantly think, oh, no, I can do it without having to do fellowship. I can do this Christian thing. I'll make an effort to read the Bible every day. And you might do that for three, four, five days. I've done it. I've done it twice in my life. Two, three, four days of Bible reading, and I do it each day. And then eventually I get... Uh, I miss a day and then I miss a second day and then before I know my Bible's been in the drawer and I haven't opened it in eight months and my prayer life went way before that my prayer life nearly vanished straight away and so at those times in my life I was pretty much walked away from God but we have to get in here we have to encourage one another we've got to exhort one another we've got to lift each other up and I've got to be here and if I'm not telling you what I'm telling you now then I'm a Lousy pastor, not worth my soul. Not worth anything. Seriously. I wouldn't be worth anything. God would be looking at me and saying, because you never corrected your people, because you never encouraged them to get into prayer and live a life completely and solely sold out to me, which is the only type of Christian life that you should be living, because you never did that, you're a worthless, worthless pastor. And I don't want to hear that. And I'll tell you, man, I, I am, I'm, we're clutching at straws here. We're clutching. I'm ho- we're holding on by a thread at the moment. We're holding on by a thread. And if we, if we don't change as a church, if we don't see the absolute desperate need there is for all of us to be committed to prayer and committed to the vision of the church, we're going to lose it. Seriously. And I'm not saying any one of you is or isn't. I'm just saying as a total, as a group, if we're not totally committed to the vision of this church, we're gonna, we could lose it. And it will be a real disaster. And God has left us to get to this point of desperation. Every, every time I've read about anything great that has ever happened, there was a point like this in the organisation, in the movement. There was always a point, just like this one right now, in our church. There was a point where it could either go completely off the rails and be destroyed forever, or it turned, took shape, and became what it was meant to be. And I believe this. I've been saying, why, God, have we gotten to this point? And God's, I believe God clearly said to me while I was praying, the reason why... God hasn't poured out his spirit on us and brought in masses of people is simply if he did now, we would think that we could continue to live the Christian life the way we're living it now. Does that make sense? Did you get that? That we would be thinking, if, it, if, it, if God just suddenly sent 100 people in here overnight, try to keep with this just for a second. 
If it happened, God sent in 100 people. And just say, most of us here pray 20 minutes a day. And we're pretty lax most of the week about our Christianity. If that happened and 100 people here, we'd be thinking, yeah, I'm on target. I'm doing the right thing. I must be because God's already blessed the church. But when God chooses to do a work, he chooses to transform those among the group he chooses to do it in. That means us. And as I, as I quoted before by Leonard Ravenhill, I'm going to take you back to it. The man who can get believers to pray would under God usher in the greatest revival that the world has ever known. Do you want that? Do you want it? I'm desperate for it, guys. I'm desperate for it. But... You know, I've got, my, I've got my breastplate of righteousness on, I've got my shield of faith and I've got my sword. I've got my feet fitted with the readiness of the gospel of peace. I'm out there, I know the, the battle's coming. I know a great persecution follows, by the way. A revival is on the way, but a great persecution is following. Now, I don't know how many of us are ready for that. But I'm readying my heart for what is coming. I'm trying to tell you it's coming. And one day you will look back and say, yes, Rob told us this was coming and it's here now. And now I'm glad that I took, took to heart what he had to say. Do you know, I've been, I've been preaching for a while now, haven't I? And probably everyone's feeling pretty tired, is that right? Probably it'd be good if I finished. What would it be like if you had been for the last hour, instead of hearing a message, you were getting tortured for the last hour. And the whole time you were said, it was said to you that if you just give up Jesus, you can go free. I'll stop the torturing and you can go free. Sometimes when you think, you know, gee, I could just back give up the faith and not have to go to church <laughs> just to get free of this. To have to listen to Rob for an hour. <laughs> it's painful. And I know the feeling. I've been in churches where I've been just thinking, He's got three more points and he's already been speaking three quarters an hour. You know the feeling. It's our human nature. But I tell you what, when push comes to shove, man, are we truly Christian? Are we ready to face persecution for the faith? Do you know over in China, they are suffering big time for being Christian, suffering big time for being genuinely Christian, not the, not the state church government-run church, but underground church. If they get caught, they're hunted continuously. When they're caught, they are tortured continuously as well. Just read the story of Brother Yon, and you get a, 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 an insight into one man and what he went through. Terrible atrocities have taken place. Terrible, terrible things have taken place to Christians. But we are so lax here that we think we're, we're, we're suffering just listening to the pastor for an extra 20 minutes longer than normal. You know, because we're looking at the clock up, man, I just want to get out of here. I'm not saying this to you directly, but I'm saying it because there's Christians all over the planet that are going to hear this message. If I could get believers praying, if I could get the believers to praying under God, and that, you know, those words echo in my mind continuously. They echo over and over and over. I hear them. I hear God telling me, just get your, get your church to prayer. Get them into prayer. Make sure they become prayer warriors. If you can get them praying, 
the church will succeed. If you don't succeed in getting them praying, the church is going to fall. Or this branch, not the church universal, this part of it. So the responsibility is, I'm, I'm handballing it, you know what I mean? It's over there now. And I'll do all my best to encourage you, build you up, and keep on, you know, doing everything I can to keep you encouraged in it. But guys, we need to put God first. We need to put God first. Amen? I'll just read this last thing. Prayer is the answer. Prayer is the key to the door of heaven. Through prayer comes the promised power of the Holy Spirit. Through prayer we build friendship with God and get his stamp of approval. Through prayer the earth will experience God's presence and power. Do you believe that? Do you believe it with your current prayer life? Can our current prayer life achieve that? No. You know what? Three minutes of prayer laying in bed before you go to sleep is not the way we're meant to pray. And, and praying in the shower before we head off in the, in the day for, for two minutes is not what God considers intimate fellowship with him. And saying a prayer here and there throughout the day is not what they call praying unceasingly. Because it doesn't happen. You could... You might say a prayer at 12 o'clock and then you know you won't even realise it'll be 4 o'clock before you say your next prayer. Dave just goes like that. And I'm just going to read the last thing. Andrew Strong expressed, I have found that the secrets of revival seem to boil down to two main things. And this, Andrew Strong has done an incredible amount of research uh, on revival. These things are extremely deep repentance. That means coming before God and repenting deeply. If you don't know what to re repent of, read on page, I think it was 45 or 46 in my book, God's Heart Cry for Revival. It's got a list of things we need to repent of. And you'll find you can repent on every point. A kind, and the second is a kind of wrestling, agonizing prayer. If you ever found prayer hard, it's normal. Agonizing prayer, work hard in prayer, wrestle in prayer. Cry out to God for the outpouring of his Holy Spirit, crying out to him to do something among us. That's the key. That's the key to seeing revival. Repentant, agonizing prayer. Amen. All right. And uh, after that, I had all these scriptures, which I'm not going to go through now. So thank you, Lord. Lord, I just pray that you, Lord, help us. God, I don't know how everyone took the message today. I don't know how I took it because, Lord, it, it moved upon me without my uh, control in the sense of it wasn't what I planned to do. It wasn't what I planned to say exactly. But, Lord, I pray that this, everything I said today will bear fruit, that it won't come return to me void, won't return to any of us void, won't return to you void, but that, Lord, you will do a deep, heart-wrenching work in every single one of us here, that we'll stand up or even, should I say, kneel down before you and that we'll repent of the way we have lived our Christian life and turn and change and become marvellously born again and transformed by the power of God and recommit our lives to you, reset our, our uh, I suppose, the, our approach to our devotional life 
go over it with a fine-tooth comb and reset it so that it, it, it can actually achieve some good. Help us to look into our devotional life and treat it seriously, more seriously than we do our studies. Let prayer become a study to us. Let devotions become a study to us. Let our seeking you in the secret place become a study to us, that we would put so much time into it and uh, that we would become strong, powerful Christians and we would see so many great results. We'd see our families coming to know you, our loved ones, those that we love with all our heart, coming to know you as Lord and Saviour. Lord, let us not accept what Satan's been doing among us any longer. Let us not stand for it anymore. Let us take our positions of, of uh, defence in this church and may we see this church go from strength to strength from here forward. May we all put our part in and may something great take place. And I pray this in your wonderful name. Let there be a, a wonderful move of God among us. In the name of Jesus, amen. If you search Rob Cartledge in the iTunes store or go to www.robcartledge.com, you'll see a number of different sermon series, Uncovering Religion, Truth, Judgment and Eternity, Apologetics 101, Critical Doctrine and End Times. Feel free to check them out.